Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Pete Chapin from EPAM Continuum. Are you a glass-half-full or a glass-half-empty kind of person? I've had a number of philosophical conversations about whether it's better to assume that things will be great at the risk of being brought back down to Earth, or whether it's better to assume the worst so that any positive outcomes come as a pleasant surprise. Personally, I'm a glass-half-full guy, although I'm also pretty clumsy, so I tend to spill those half-full glasses everywhere. But anyway, that's why I was especially heartened when we interviewed Alex Amuyel, the executive director of Solve, an initiative at MIT that supports social entrepreneurs from around the world to get the resources they need to help them succeed. She identified optimism as one of the most important core values one can have when trying to address tough entrenched problems like access to education and healthcare. The first step is believing that we as individuals can make a difference. Alex's optimism for the power of technology and innovation to help drive meaningful change was highlighted in a recent discussion with EPAM Continuum's Gar Rohatki, Director of Innovation Consulting and Life Sciences Vertical Lead. They discussed a number of topics, including why a marketplace is the best way to promote social innovation, why throwing trillions of dollars at a problem isn't going to solve it, and the path for greater inclusiveness and ethical use of AI technology. Let's hear where that conversation went. So let's talk about Solve. Tell us about your organization and why you love being the executive director. Um, Hello. So Solve is uh, an initiative of MIT, um, and its mission is to solve world challenges. Um, We see ourselves as a marketplace for social impact innovation, and uh, we find, fund, and support uh, tech-based social entrepreneurs who are solving world challenges. And why I love being the executive director is that um, I've grown a a fantastic team of uh, just under 25 people over the last three years. And uh, we get to work with incredible social entrepreneurs every day from all around the world and to help them succeed. And then we're trying to be innovative ourselves and to, as we grow and test new things. It is really impressive how broad your network is and the broad challenges that, that you do um, address. As co-lead of EPAM Continuum Life Sciences, I, I have to ask, though, your biotech, biochemistry background, um, does that influence? How does that come into play as you build, solve uh, challenge designs and networks? Yeah, so, so I have an undergraduate in biochemistry and um, then didn't feel like becoming a scientific researcher, um, so did ended up doing a master's in international affairs, um, which was much more looking at sort of social impact type issues um, and spent the last decade um, mostly around social impact at Save the Children, the Clinton Foundation, and now uh, MIT Solve. Uh, But sort of a little bit like Steve Jobs says, the sort of dots start to make sense in hindsight when I came to MIT and even when I was interviewing Um, they were very keen to have somebody with a STEM background who did work in social impact. And that's not necessarily um, the obvious profile. So my biochemistry degree was first really important to get the job, I guess. Um, But then um, it's very useful both um, when we look at the health pillar, which was one one of our core pillars, but then also when um, I'm talking to faculty across the institute um, and having a sort of broad-based background in science is very helpful. No, I think that resonates a lot with um, people here at EPAM as well. We're known mostly by our brand as engineers, but uh, there's 
a lot of people who come to work every day because they want to improve people's lives. And that's, that's one reason why I think EPAM wanted to partner with Solve. As you know, um, next week on Tuesday, January 28th at 3 p.m., we're going to co-host in our Boston studio a, a challenge design workshop. Um, what is a challenge design workshop exactly? Why uh, should participants be, you know, anticipating that day and really looking forward to coming? Uh, yeah. So first of all, thank you for, for hosting us in your space. And I just had an opportunity to, to tour the premises and um, you have very cool modular offices. So we're excited to be there. Um, and secondly, um, so we launch our four global challenges on February 25th. Um, and they're going to look at, um, there's going to be a challenge on education, one on health, one on economic prosperity, and one on sustainability. Um, we're going to expect uh, over a thousand applications. That's certainly what we got in the previous years. And there'll be prize funding and lots of opportunities for the selected solvers to work with MIT and the solve community. Um, and the challenge design workshop, so on January 28th, as you mentioned, um, is really to help us. Um, we have some ideas of what the core themes of these challenges are going to be, um, but we really want to bring the Boston community um, together to um, to really refine what those themes are and also really get excited and help us think about who could be judges and mentors, um, who could participate in the coalition, um, who could be good applicants to this challenge so that when we launch, um, we have sort of a real community of people who are helping us um, advertise, promote, mentor, select um, these solver teams. Wow, that sounds like a great opportunity to not only influence some smart people, but also um, some deep resources. And that's one thing you mentioned, you know, Solve is a marketplace for social innovation. Why does social innovation need a marketplace? Um, you know, you guys do have um, partnerships and um, a lot of resources in terms of funding available. Um, that sounds really impressive. How how exactly does that process work? The, the UN has defined these very broad goals, the sustainable development goals, um, and they are meant to be achieved by 2030. So we've got a decade left. Um, and I'm pretty sure we're not on track on many of them, uh, if not any of them. Uh, and one, uh, one of the things that's regularly quoted is the need for additional funding. There's supposedly a 2.5 trillion uh, annual um, dollar gap um, to to um, realize the the sustainable development goals. Now, I think we believe that even if this money suddenly appeared, governments, corporations, philanthropists all banded together and put that two point five trillion dollars in, and that was put in then to um, existing solutions to scale these up and bring them to places. Um, you know, if you think about. Um, the lack of energy or the lack of schooling or this type of thing. Even if you had the money, you wouldn't solve the sustainable development goals fully because we don't have all the solutions. We need, um, we need to drive innovation and to actually invest in innovation to find new solutions that can really um, drive, you know, um, drive change for the poorest, the most marginalized refugees, uh, and a number of underserved communities. Um, and I think the good news about that is, as we know, technology and innovation also tends to drive 
the unit cost of things down. <laughs> and so if we can be more innovative, hopefully we could actually be, bring down the price of the price of solving these challenges down. Um, so that's sort of why I think overall we need innovation. And then, um, therefore, how do you really drive innovation to um, to social good and to, to social impact? And just like um, we know that entrepreneurs, especially in underserved communities, lack access to capital, talent, expertise, peer-to-peer uh, -peer support, networking, um, that's the same thing for social entrepreneurs, especially if these social entrepreneurs are not based in Boston, San Francisco, and New York, um, you know, within the US, but also even more so around the world. Uh, if they're based in Afghanistan and Benin, you know, Nigeria, Kenya, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so Solve and, you know, by extension, MIT has thought to create this marketplace where we can find the most promising social entrepreneurs and curate that. And then um, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, create a community of members and partners who, are who want to invest in innovation and are ready to put resources, money, uh, mentorship, expertise, et cetera, to help these innovators. And so that's why it's sort of this marketplace. There's a demand side and a supply side for innovation. And hopefully my staff are the brokers or the matchmakers in that marketplace. Very cool. I'm so happy to hear you talking about innovation as the key um, here at EPAM Continuum. That's what drives our business. Um, we want to bring meaningful innovation out into the world uh, to improve people's lives. I wanted to talk about core values. I know that um, Solve has, you know, uh, some core values like optimism, partnership, open innovation, human-centered solutions, and inclusive technologies. And they're fantastic. We share a number of them at EPAM Continuum. Um, is there a particular value that either speaks to you? Um, mm, uh, yeah, I mean, all of them come together, I guess. But um, but I, I think, I mean, it all starts with optimism in the sense that um, you have to believe that these challenges are solvable that um, and that you, um, kind of as an individual, as a social entrepreneur, can do something about this, right? There are big, big challenges in this world. And there was Nick Kristoff um, in his, you know, end of year, like um, his, his end of year sort of op-ed talked about saying that 2019 was the best year we'd ever had in the sense of um, there are less people living in poverty, there are more girls accessing schooling, there's more less infants dying um, of preventable diseases. And that's very true on sort of a number of trend lines. And the world has made tremendous progress over the last decades. Uh, but, you know, as we know, it doesn't always feel like that um, because uh, the, the headlines are perhaps different than the trend lines, first of all, but also because um, there are some big intractable challenges that we're not making progress on. I tend to summarize those and there's lots of things which come out of those, but as sort of climate change being one of them, and then income inequality and everything that derives from sort of inequality of opportunities, sort of access to education, healthcare, the criminal justice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that sort of covers a lot of things. Um, but those were not making progress, and we know this, and our, you know, the institutions that have been set up, um, both 
governments, corporations, but also the multilateral institutions that are meant to and have allowed cooperation between these institutions um, so far haven't seemed to me making tremendous progress on at least those two big buckets. Um, and, you know, that can feel over that, you know, it's just going to get worse and that nothing's going to get done. So I think we have to start, <laughs> and I do, with optimism first that we can solve these challenges if we bring enough people together, put the right resources together, use the power of technology and drive innovation. Um, but also that as an individual, as a social entrepreneur, certainly, and also as other individuals, you can make a difference and you can make change um, and that there's a way to do that. So that's probably the first, you know, that's the, that's the starting point. I can imagine that um, entrepreneurs, especially those working in resource-constrained um, <clears throat> markets, may need to hear that um, message of optimism quite often. Do you get to work directly with any entrepreneurs and how do you spread that, that optimism to them? Uh, so, I mean, yes, because we, we select the, these social entrepreneurs um, every year. So we, we select a class of 32 every year um, from these challenges. So, um, and I don't get to spend as much time as them as I would like, unfortunately, first, because they're all around the world. And secondly, because I have, I get too busy, but my team spends a lot of time, um, thankfully, with them as well. Um, but um, I think they're definitely there. They they come with optimism and they they inspire me and they make me optimistic. I'm not sure I always. Uh, I hope I also impart that optimism that we can help and be supportive. But I think they give us they they give us a lot more of that optimism when you, when you meet them. Um, I do think it's also um, you know when you hear their stories. So when we select them, we do. Um, this exercise from Marshall Gans um, from Harvard, uh, which is the story of uh, self, us, and now. And, um, you know, so that they tell their stories to each other and see, you know, that they come from all different geographies, they have different technologies, they have different business models, they they may have share the same challenge, but how they're addressing it tends to be very different because we want that sort of diversity. We don't believe there's one answer to a challenge such as uh, um, the circular economy or something like that. Um, but then when you hear them talk and they realize that as they go through this exercise, when it sort of starts to talk about the story of, of us, they start to realize that their stories sound pretty similar, especially on sort of why they got started and that they they noticed a big problem in the, the world, something that affected them pers either personally or a family member or somebody in their community they were very close to. There was a big issue in the world, um, you know, but, but generally something very personal that they could relate to. Um, and then they looked for solutions and they couldn't, nobody was there or they couldn't find the right solutions. And so at some point, it became an obligation to do something. And it's like, right. I can do this. And it became an obligation to do that. Um, and so that's that's really powerful for me. Um, but I do think it's also hard being a so an entrepreneur, and especially I would say a social entrepreneur, is, is very difficult and very lonely. And um, we're going to be doing a panel on um, uh, for the closing of Solve at MIT this coming May, which is something like, 
trials, tribulations, and triumphs of risk takers. Um, but it's essentially sort of recognizing that um, it's, you know, it's also blood, sweat, and tears. So, um, so yeah, optimism and, and blood, sweat, and tears, unfortunately. Yeah, that is very powerful. It seems like you not only help them to see that they're a source of optimism in the world and that um, you give them community as well. That's um, fantastic. Um, one thing you mentioned the uh, four different areas and at the workshop, we're going to break up into those, those four groups. Can you explain a little bit about the rationale for choosing those particular themes? Um, yeah, so I'm, you know, there's, we could have organized solve in a myriad of different ways. Uh, uh, we do sort of definitely take note of the UN sustainable development goals, but there are 17 of them. So we didn't think we could have 17 challenges in 17 areas. So we sort of picked um, broad, the broad categories that we could see that summarized um, them. So that's learning, health, sustainability, and economic prosperity. And that also corresponds in itself quite well to, you know, MIT's expertise and and um, and the the places where we think MIT um, MIT's faculty initiatives, students, um, and sort of generally its resources and convening power could sort of affect change in these categories. Great. Well, again, as um, the lead of. Uh EPAM Continuum Life Sciences Vertical, as well as my own experience in my family, I know that a lot of access to opportunity starts with health. Is there, um, are there innovators or solutions in, in your health track that you're particularly fond of? Um, yes, absolutely. So um, I'm trying to think of um, Boston or, or Cambridge-based ones um, as well. Um, so um so the the past challenge we did so not the one we'll be launching uh february 25th but the one that we launched last year um for which we selected the solver teams in september of this year and they'll be coming in may if you're following (laughs) um they um that was looking at healthy cities so the fact that most cities or many cities around the world today actually make us sicker for various reasons. Um, they're stressful, they're polluted, they, I don't need to go on, anybody who lives in the city knows this. Um, and um, how might we think about cities as a place that could promote health and well-being? How might we redesign the urban environment, provide access to services that um, avoid the flu spreading super quickly and that promote good habits and exercise so that was sort of the the premise and um we got several hundred solutions out of this from all around the world so so a couple of examples um so based in cambridge um we we have two i believe from this um actually it might be based in boston or cambridge sorry about that um uh we have two that are um that are quite different one is uh, called iThrone, uh, which is a cost-effective sanitary toilet. Um, which, uh, if you saw Bill Gates's um, Netflix show, the first episode is all on toilets mm. uh, because sanitation is a real, um, really big issue in cities. Especially, well, large concentration of people, but sanit and that creates water bill illnesses and all that um, stuff. So, um, so that's. Um, um, 
that's uh, that's a really great um, solver team who's trying, who's sort of really developing that. And if you will, that's a a pretty it's a low cost hardware technology, right? Uh, and then completely different, but still a big issue in cities, is ShapeUp. Um, and so that's a AI-based web application um, that um, helps prioritize and coordinate physical cleanups um, in cities and high-risk areas um, with, the, um, with the idea that that can um, be used for gun violence prevention and essentially making the link between neighborhood environments and gun violence and then making sure that those neighborhoods are uh, that we're reducing the risk on that. And so that's completely both completely different technology and then a completely different sort of aspect of health in cities. Yeah, the, you just mentioned AI. And I'm curious about, um, you know, as, as machine learning and AI become more prevalent, is there something you're excited about and also maybe cautious about or, or ask your innovators to be cautious about as they build AI into their uh, solutions. Yeah, so I think taking taking a step back, um, there's obviously a lot of discussions about AI, machine learning, big data taking over our lives and <laughs> and creating havoc and and accelerating that. And obviously, more broadly, technology and automation, um, you know, meaning that we lose our jobs permanently, that we have no more privacy, and you know, the list goes on. Um, and I think. I mean, I definitely take the view, and I think MIT would as well, that, you know, technology in and of itself is neutral. It, uh, and almost the defining feature of humanity has been to be developing technology um, and through that uh, progress and prosperity and also some negative consequences as well. Um, and so it's how we use that technology and how we design it and who designs it and how it's then deployed, that matters. Um, so that goes absolutely the same for AI, machine learning, big data, et cetera. Um, but indeed, you know, there, there probably hasn't been, um, you know, the data scientists of the world are, are not working for nonprofits or mm. a lot of <laughs> non you know, uh, and governments and the UN and things like that, they're going to work um, for uh, big corporations. And uh, and there's not enough understanding, we see this, um, from the people who do regulation about how to sort of advance policy in those areas and think about um, ethics around those, those things. So first, I think, um, as technologists, we need to, ensure that there's ethics and then that our policymakers understand what those technologies are. Um, and then I think that there are lots of use cases, if you will, or potential use cases for AI and machine learning and big data to be used for good um, in um, and to, to be deployed if, and then sort of we have to then deploy the resources and the data scientists to really focus on those issues um, so a couple of examples, um, certainly of use cases. Uh, so um, first of all, um, so IC Change, um, which is based in New Orleans, um, they they were from our previous class um, and uh, around coastal communities. 
And they essentially crowdsource data through people, you know, citizen scientists, if you will, taking pictures of climate change related events in their city. So it started in New Orleans and now they have sort of other other places. So if your road continually floods every time it rains or um, or sort of or if there's a big storm and various other things, then um, sort of you can take a picture and you're sort of mapping that. And then they essentially show this and they work with the city of New Orleans and other shows to show they can get sort of better data on what, you know, the effects at a micro level, street by street, every day on what, um, on what that is. Um, and so the use case there, and this was in a sense what we, we did, they, they got a... Um, uh, a grant and then a follow-on uh, grant from the McGovern Foundation to help develop um, the sort of um, the predictability then and the sort of connecting the dots between the crowdsourced image to then really be able to do better maps essentially of uh, of those climate uh, related events so that's sort of and I think they could do even more <laughs> so that's sort of one 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 use case um, and then Similarly to what we were talking about before we started um, uh, this uh, uh, this chat, um, Kinedu is um, is uh, based in Mexico City, but um, you can use its app in the U.S. as well. And it's a early childhood uh, milestone app where essentially um, you, as a parent, download it. There's a free version and then a paying version, and then you um, you input your child's from birth, I believe, development milestones as they go. Are they sitting up? Are they talking? Are they walking? Et cetera. And uh, much more to micro level than that. And then the app uh, gives you advice as it goes and encourages you to try new things to, to help your child's development, which every parent likes. Um, but it also sort of has um, a much more through its AI and um, pieces, it has a much more... Um, personalized version of what your child's development milestone should be um so as a parent you don't get worried that your kid doesn't fit the growth charts um or other development milestones that were uh, that are quite outdated generally um so um and then through their app in a sense bar hopefully helping parents um really uh, help their kids grow and develop in the um and reassure them um, it also sort of allows all the data that they're building should give a much more precise um, a map overall of um, development at milestones for kids. So. That app sounds like it has a great opportunity to be very popular. Uh, when we were working with um, P&G on their Pampers brand, we certainly heard from parents that that's the thing they care about most is, is their child developing at the rate they should be. So that's great. Alex, I'm so happy to hear you talk about um, AI. So much of the conversation is about how large corporations, you know, wield this tool, um, and there's a lot of bias. But it seems like from the examples you gave that um, Solve really has an opportunity to show the world how AI can be used for inclusiveness and um, to promote, like, ethical use of technology. So I particularly am very excited about next Tuesday and um, our opportunity to sit with other innovators and, and thinkers to um, to help promote 
your mission and uh, the mission of bringing access to uh, things of value for more people in the world. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. EPAM Continuum integrates business, design, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. Because from our perspective, ideas aren't really innovative until they exist. Thanks to Alex Amuyel and Gar Ruhatki for their great conversation today. Cheers to Kip Palalis, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Numerous appreciations to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all of his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your perpetually optimistic host, Pete Chapin. And to our listeners, we thank you for your ears. Thank you.